0: Ah, uh, Clark. This is Lauren, my uh, co-host and my wife. Uh,
1: hey, Lauren. Lauren
2: this is Clark. Hi. Which is which is more painful, being his co-host or his wife?
1: <laughs> we almost
2: had a spit take over here. <laughs> I'm, I'm he's a he's a delightful gentleman. I'm 100.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, honestly, I'm I'm sure. Honestly, the co-host is worse. Hey there, film buds! Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and I'm Lauren. And we're joined today by our friend and returning guest, uh, Clark Collis, who was back on
2: in September uh, for *Shaun of the Dead*. Clark, how are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, and thank you so much for uh, for uh, for having me on again. I, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Um, we were glad to have you on. I had a great time last time and um, just doing one of the three films of the Cornetto trilogy seemed uh, like a poor poor way to do things. So I decided that we should, you know, work our way through them. And um, yeah, this is actually perfect because I needed a UK film as well um, because the UK is one of our top five um, downloaded countries. And so this month, all of our episodes are for Countries that we have listeners in, and and the UK is one of them. Um, no, great. Yeah, um, yeah. So today we're going to be doing, as I as I mentioned, Hot Fuzz. It's the second film in the Cornetto trilogy, um, Edgar Wright's film, and. Uh, If you didn't listen to the last episode, uh, Clark wrote a book on Shaun of the Dead called You've Got Red On You, um, which is out now in in the UK, and I think it's about to come out in the US?
2: Yeah, it it was published uh, November 18th in the UK, and it's coming out November 23rd in the US. Okay, perfect. uh, But wherever you are in the time continuum, you can either uh, pre-order it or or buy it. So that's either of those things. It's the perfect... It is the perfect Christmas gift, I think. Or if you're listening to this in six months' time, uh, the perfect beach read. Or in nine months' time, the perfect Halloween gift.
1: Really, <laughs> yeah. Whenever
2: you're listening to this, whenever you're, it's if it's 20 zombie. years' time and, and the zombie apocalypse has happened and you're sitting in a, a ruined pub, then uh, you, can, you can get out your copy and, uh, and read it there. And reminisce when, when
0: zombies were just a what-if.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll just sort of jump on into it. As always, we have a clip, so, uh, so take a listen.
2: Sergeant Nicholas Angel, expert in hand-to-hand combat, armed response, and high-speed pursuit. He was so good,
0: they reassigned him. So that was Hot Fuzz, which came out in 2007. It's directed by Edgar Wright. And it stars uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Uh, let's see, where's the main cast? It's got
1: uh, Timothy uh, Dalton. It's got Jim Broadbent, Patty Considine, Rafe Spall. Um, it's a real who's who
0: of of a lot of... British character actors, honestly. Um, it really does
2: have... I, I was re-watching it uh, yesterday, and, yeah, it's got, this, it's got this amazing cast. Obviously, it's, it's, it's Nick uh, Frost and Simon Pegg again together after uh, Shaun of the Dead and, and the sitcom Space that they made with Edgar Wright. Um, and then it's got this great immediate supporting cast that, that we should talk about at some point. As you say, you know, Timothy Dalton, Uh, Edward Woodward's in it, Jim Broadbent. Uh, uh, And then it's just got, I mean, and then the rest of the people are either people that I, as a Brit, am very familiar with from from films and TV, like Billy Whitelaw plays, um, who who is just this legendary uh, actress in the UK, uh, plays the manager or the owner of the hotel where uh, Simon Pegg stays at. And then it's just got cameos galore. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. some of them actually, I, I I didn't even realize that certain people were in it until I was I was watching this on uh, on Amazon, and they've got that sort of little trivia thing. Um, and in the, in the opening sequence alone, you've got cameos, which is fantastic. You've got cameos from Bill Nye, Steve mm-hmm. Coogan, Martin Freeman. But then you've also got this one scene where Simon Pegg uh, goes to talk to his ex-girlfriend at a crime scene and everybody's wearing masks. And it was weird watching that scene a little bit now when you go to a a shop and everybody's wearing masks. But everybody's wearing masks in this scene. And I knew that one of the, his ex-girlfriend is played by Kate Blanchett. Um, Completely unrecognizable because she's wearing a huge mask on her face. But one of the other sort of crime scene technicians who's wearing a mask is Joe Cornish, mm-hmm. um, who would go on to direct Attack the Block and the kid who would be king. And I knew and I'd interviewed Joe for my book uh, about Shaun of the Dead because I knew that he played one of the zombies. But I had no idea that he also played uh, one of the uh, one of the crime scene guys with the mask on his face. To be fair, no, you know, no, no. no uh, no slam on Joe, it's not, it's not like, a, it's not a no particularly notable performance. <laughs> um, I think he may be, he may only say one word or just a couple of words, but I had no idea that that was him um, in the movie. Yeah, it's got this, it's got both a, a deep bench cast in the sense that everybody's amazing and well-known certainly in Britain, but also, yeah, again and again, just, just these cast sort of sort of popping up left, right and center, which is, which is really amazing. No, absolutely. Um, I
0: I saw this movie in theaters. I saw this actually before I saw Shaun of the Dead. Um and this movie is just in so many ways, I think going from Shaun of the Dead to Hot Fuzz, you see how how much more sort of access that they have, mm. how much sort of meaner, cleaner, you know, better funded this thing is. Uh and it's evident also in in, you know, the cameos, because like as you mentioned in that first scene, you have three right off the bat with Freeman, Coogan, and and Nye. Uh, And then in that opening montage, the man dressed as Father Christmas that stabs him through the hand is Peter Jackson. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so you can already see how like from Shaun of the Dead to Hot Fuzz, like everything has blown up. Um, This movie, I really enjoy this one more so than Shaun of the Dead. I actually think it lives in kind of this weird otherworldly reality you know kind of this strange stepford wives fish out of water narrative where everyone is in on this sort of joke and our main character isn't um and i think that it's really brilliantly funny um and all all of these movies really really hold up um, uh all the way through you i guess have probably seen hot fuzz the least out of out of us yeah (laughs) this is my second
1: watch, watch through I, I started with, with Shaun of the Dead years ago and didn't realize that there were um, more to to the trilogy. Um, but honestly, I really enjoy this one a lot. I think the humor is really spot on. I think that everyone is, is aware of the joke, but isn't like, you know, winking at the naughty audience so much that you can't also laugh with them. Mm-hmm. Um, No, I think that I think that this movie is so much fun and such a different tone as well from Shaun of the Dead, where um, even though the characters, I guess especially for Nick Frost, are very similar, but um, they have their their different ways of of being iconic. Mm
0: -hmm. No, absolutely. Um,
2: This one is filmed in Wells, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. For people who 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 uh, haven't heard the previous podcast, I should probably give a little bit of my relationship to the film. It is filmed uh, in Wells, um, which is a rural, I think it's technically a city because Wells has a cathedral. So it's one of the, which is sort of how you define what a city is in the UK. If you've got a cathedral, no matter how small the town is, you get to call yourself a city. Um, But it's in a rural area. It is about three quarters of an hour's drive away from Bristol, uh, which is a pretty big city, but, it, but it's not a big, big city. Uh, people may know Bristol because that's where uh, Massive Attack come from. Um, Cary Grant was born there. He was born Arch, Archie Leach uh, in uh, Bristol. It's a, uh, uh, a big port um, town. Um, but Wells, I mean, it's, it's a very rural town uh, of about 12,000 souls. And that's where Edgar Wright grew up. And he went to the blue school, and that's where I went to school. I went to school for eleven years in Wells, and I went to the what's called uh, the cathedral school. I went to Wells Cathedral School, um, and I was a boarder there. And it's yeah, it's a small, it's a small town. Um, and so when Edgar, I mean, I think Edgar had the boat. I mean, and Simon Peg, uh, Edgar and Simon wrote the script, and Simon comes from Gloucester, which is the county where Hot Fuzz is set. Hot Fuzz is set in this. Um, fictional village called Sanford. And Sanford is the name of the fake town that's somewhere outside London, I think, where they where 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 policemen train. Um, so they've got a little guess of fake town and, and cops train. They're British cops. And so they took the name and it's it's set in Gloucestershire. Um, but it's but it's it's you know it's very much the rural West Country. And I think Edgar, from what I recall you know, uh, hunted high and low to find somewhere that wasn't Wells to shoot this movie. Um, but clearly in his mind, the way he'd laid it out, it was always going to be Wells. So eventually he went and shot it in Wells. And the way he shot it, I mean, it's very much, it's not like one of those movies, um, you know, when you're watching a movie set in LA, and there's a whole documentary about this, that that people are driving down one street and then, they turn left and suddenly they're driving down a street, which if you know LA is like 20 miles away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the way Edgar shot, I mean, he does take some liberties, I think with the geography of Wells, but it's very much, um, you know, he sort of kept to the geography of the place. And, and a lot of the stuff is in the market square and the market squares of real square and uh, Simon Pegg's character who has been, um, you know, he starts off as this, <coughs> Uh, overachieving cop in London. In fact, he's so overachieving that his superiors send him uh, to Sanford, this tiny little um, uh, rural town in England because he's making everybody look bad. And there he start, people start getting murdered and or people start dying and Simon Pegg's character, Nick Angel is convinced that they're being murdered and all the other local cops are like, you know, what are you talking about? These are all just accidents. Uh, even in fact, when someone gets stabbed in the neck with a pair of shears, mm-hmm. uh, the suggestion from the <coughs> from the other cops is maybe she tripped and fell, um, uh, and uh, and so yeah, so it's all filmed in Wells, and a lot of the things in the movie are, are real things in Wells. There's this whole B plot where um, a swan, someone swan, goes missing, and. Uh, you know, the, the swan keeps on turning up as the film goes on. But um, like swans are a big deal in Wells. There are these swans that live in a moat around what's called the Bishop's Palace. In, 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 in Hot Fuzz, it's called the castle, I think. Uh, but it's actually the Bishop's Palace It's where the bishop lives. It's his residence, this big old, possibly medieval um, building structure. Uh, with grounds and they used to have swans that would go and uh, when it was dinner time the swans would go and um, there were these bells with a rope hanging down from the bell and the swans would go and ring the bell and then you would feed the swans or whatever Um, so swans are a big part of it there's there's a uh, model village at the end Uh, one of the sort of climactic sequences takes place in a model village I don't pretty sure we didn't have a model village but we had this uh, similarly sort of I mean, okay, but not great tourist attraction called Wookiee Hole Caves, uh, where I worked for a spell, worked for a summer or two, and Edgar uh, worked in the car park, parking lot of Wookiee Hole Caves for summer too. I should point out that I didn't know Edgar. Edgar's about five, six years younger than me. I didn't know him when I was a kid, but I've got to know him, uh, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, But so when I went to see Sean, I mean, I have no huge memory about going to see Sean of the Dead. I remember seeing it at, Union Square Cinema, and I'm sure I thought it was great, you know. But but the thing is with Edgar's movies, especially if if that's your first sort of um, uh, encounter with an Edgar movie, is is you're just you're just not getting half of it. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be a much more intelligent person than I am to like notice half the things that are going on in an Edgar movie because the the plot is so propulsive and the jokes, you know, the obvious jokes are so funny that you miss. A lot of the, the way that it's all knitted together, and 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 the way that the jokes sort of or things sort of reappear, uh, and the sheer sort of brio of of the shooting, um, of the shooting of the film, and so I very much enjoyed uh, Shaun of the Dead. But then I went to see um, a preview in a screening room in New York of Hot Fuzz, and what are you going to so? What are you going to think of? Is I like spent eleven years in a Basically, a village or a small town. And suddenly, this guy's made an action movie, like a movie that, that both references, you know, I mean references lots of movies, but specifically Point Break and Bad Boys. Uh, and, and, and then he's, turned, he's made an action movie in this sort of tiny town that I grew up in you know, this tiny medieval town. And like, I knew so much of it. And it was just such a hallucinatory experience to watch this place where I'd grown up be used in this fashion. And it's because it's both, you know, in many ways, very spot on to Wells. There's there's a whole, a lot of the plot concerns the fact that the local, uh, the local residents, the local sort of chief residents, There's this competition for like the best village or whatever, and that's a real thing. I mean, it's called it's called a different name But I live in I live in I'm currently staying in a town called usk in South Wales about probably about an hour and a half away from Wells and like the annual Flower competition in which usk this village battles it out with other villages across the country and indeed across Europe is a Huge deal like a really really huge deal. So so you know, I'm watching this 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 in many ways kind of spot on if parodical version of where I lived, but with this like, you know, eighties action movie placed on top, particularly in the last act. And it was just I just didn't it was just crazy. It blew my mind. I absolutely uh blew my mind. And then I um I mean, it, it, when it was released, it was a huge, huge hit in Britain. It was a massive hit, um, and then I convinced Entertainment Weekly that 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 we should run a big piece on Simon and Nick and Edgar as this genuine phenomenon. Because, Short of, I mean, Short of the Dead had been had done very well. It had cost like six million dollars and made thirty million dollars around the world. You know, and was a huge success given its very humble origins. Um, but Hot Fuzz turned was 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 you know probably you know going on for three times as successful around the world, uh, um, despite still being a somewhat. I mean, it's not a huge, it's not a big budget movie by any stretch of imagination. Um, and certainly in Britain, made uh, you know Simon and Nick. I mean, there were already stars in Britain, but made Simon and Nick just huge, huge stars. And also, you know, suddenly, I mean, Edgar had been uh, you know talking about. I think by that point had been talking about doing Ant-Man and, and uh, maybe talking about, which obviously he didn't eventually do, but I think he'd also, he was also writing, working on the screenplay for um, Scott Pilgrim, which he did go, later went on to make. But by, I mean, the thing is that, that, that Hot Fuzz, I think Hot, Hot Fuzz was proof that that, that it was evidence that, that, you know, Shaun of the Dead was not some sort of like flash in the pan for these guys whether they were whether they you know went on to work whether they you know whether the, whether as a um as a group or individually you know um and so yeah then I was just and so I that's the point where you're like wow these guys are these guys are something very special indeed you know no absolutely and like I remember you know I saw this
0: when I was I guess like 15 um and it, it, I thought that it was absolutely amazing. I thought that it was hilarious. Um, you know, it, it got me on to really following, you know, all three of them. And so when Scott Pilgrim was coming out, I was absolutely on board because I was kind of hooked in through Hot Fuzz and that made me go back and watch Shaun of the Dead and and kind of crawl into this, um, you know, little strange cinematic universe that, that they had for themselves at the time and, um, he was definitely a very impactful, you know, sort of filmmaker for me when I was in my teenage years and that kind of thing, because um, I just felt like no one was making anything half as interesting or or clever, um, you know, sort of like a Tarantino movie, but punchier, you know, and, and with a little bit more flair to it, but just mm-hmm. as thoughtful and sort of deconstructive of a genre and a type. Um, and I, I really enjoy Hot Fuzz quite a lot. You know, I've watched it loads of times now I'm not sure how many I have at this point but I'm still going through and unpacking and noticing little things like I was watching the the montage of him going to the uh, Sanford um, in the beginning and they are talking about it being this great place and they show the model town village and before you ever get to see the model town it just sort of seems this hilarious like play on words almost right he's on this way to this model town and Um, you mentioned the Swans and his hotel that he stays in is called the Swan Hotel. Right, right, Um, right, right. And so, yeah, you know, you can continually go back through and really comb these movies, and whether it's, like, your first time watching them and you can get sort of just swept up in
1: all of it, or if you've gone through and listened to the commentary tracks, because, like, the, the disc has... like five commentary tracks on the thing. Um, and like one of them has Quentin Tarantino
0: in it as like a guest commentator on the track. Um, so I think that you can always go back through and that's what's so great about his movies is is how layered and, and rich in detail
1: that they all are. Um, yeah. Honestly, you are Well, yeah, There's sorry, scenes sorry, scenes go on, that. sorry. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say that you're such a huge resource as well because of the fact that, it, that you're so familiar with the area and all of that. I just, I loved listening to you, to you really break it down. And I was like, oh, all of these things that I thought were kind of like accidental, like nods to things were very pointed. And I just really enjoyed yeah.
2: it. <laughs> well, it's funny now that there, I was, when I was watching it, the, it's not that I don't like these things, but there's, but there's, um, <laughs> so there's a house that gets blown up at one point and actually maybe it is even a house in wells i don't know um but what it doesn't irritate me but i i guess i just get slightly annoyed at those tiny tiny things that aren't accurate to wells you know what i mean mm-hmm. even though like 99.9 percent of it uh is accurate uh to wells there are uh, little things that aren't it is so jam-packed with um with great jokes, uh, there is an actor called Bill Bailey who is in Spaced, um, and he's basically a stand-up. I, I mean, that's sort of, what I mean is that's his main job, I guess, although a couple of years ago, he won uh, what's called here uh, Dancing, no, Strictly strictly, da- strictly Come Dancing or whatever, sp- Celebrity. It's basically the British equivalent of your uh, Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. And Bill Bailey won it, I believe, and has now sort of become, um, you know, just, just a very famous individual in the UK. But he had, <laughs> Ed, Edgar had directed, and if you look at him, he does, I don't think he would mind me saying this, he does look like something out of Lord of the Rings. Um, okay. And he, uh, he had a TV show that Edgar directed a, a season of in the, in the mid-90s, and then they cast him as the uh, owner of the comic book shop in space. It was the the comic book shop where um, where uh, Simon Pegg's character works. And his character, I think his character was called Bilbo Bagshot, which kind of probably gives you an idea of what his uh, sort of character was like. But he's in, so he's in Hot Fuzz, and he's one of the cops in Hot Fuzz, and he sort of mans the desk. But actually, he's playing two characters. He's playing twins. And only because then he sort of becomes evident in the course of the, in the course of the um, film, I mean, as the film progresses, and one of them's got short hair, and one of them's got long hair. Uh, but also, one of them reads. There's a British author called Ian Banks, and Ian Banks wrote uh, sci-fi novels, but also quite serious non-sci-fi novels. I mean, not that sci-fi novels can't be serious, but quite critically acclaimed mainstream novels. And when he was writing, one, I can't—I always used to get, I always get—I now get them mixed up. But, but when he wrote one kind of novel, his name, his pen name was Ian Banks. And when he wrote the other kind of novel, his pen name was Ian M. Banks. And like most people, you could watch this film for 20 times and not notice this. But one of the twins that Bill Bailey plays reads a book reads a book by Ian M. Banks. And one of them reads a book by Ian Banks. And that's it's just like a <laughs> And I mean. I mean, it's a joke, but it's not a ha-ha joke. But you're like, I mean, I was watching this over the weekend, and I'm like, if this had been a, like a, a movie where people were, you know, where executives were really getting into, if, if it was like a quote-unquote Hollywood movie where people were getting notes, then I am sure there's no way that character would survive or or not. Because it's not really, or maybe there would have just been one you know, Bill Bailey would just be playing one character. or Maybe it would be somebody else who's playing the character. Um, but to me, this is just the charm of the thing. that Simon, There was something about this which really amused Simon and Edgar. And again, it's one of those things that, that you're a little bit confused about the first time you watch it, and by the third time, you're like, oh, right, okay, and then you sort of Google Ian Banks and, and figure out what's going on. And I also bring up Bill Bailey because... Uh, so as I said, I'm staying in this in this uh, Welsh village called Ask, um, which has, uh, just bear with me one second, one of the sort of more famous Usk um, uh, residents, We well, not the Ask has an awful lot of famous residents, but uh, one of the famous residents of Ask, former residents, is this gentleman, this, this Victorian naturalist called Alfred Russell Wallace, who one day, he was a naturalist, And uh, the story goes that uh, basically he came up with the idea for uh, evolution and then wrote to Darwin in a letter about like, hey, I've got this crazy idea, like maybe maybe (laughs) religion, maybe God doesn't exist and we're all descended from monkeys. I'm sure that's not how he put it, but he mentioned evolution to Darwin and then Darwin sort of picked this up and ran with it and then he became famous as the father of Darwinism, obviously, I guess. If it had been Wallace, it would have been called something else. But uh, he became, you know, famous as a man who, who, who came across or who popularized uh, Darwinism. And Wa- Wallace faded from, from uh, you know, history, basically. But Bill Bailey, it turns out, um, one of his many interests is this gentleman, uh, Alfred Russell Wallace, former Ask president. Last weekend, just like two days ago, came down to Ask Bill Bailey uh, to unveil a statue of uh alfred <laughs> russell wallace and so there was like 200 people in the in the Town square and um bill bailey made a great speech and then like people you know the, the person the moderate the person who was in charge of it was like well bill's gonna stick around and take some photographs with people and so if you go on not to you know i mean you don't have to do this but if you go on my instagram page at clark you can see a picture of me with Bill Bailey and just after I gave him a copy of my book. And he was he seemed uh, I I'm not sure he quite knew what was going on because we had everybody had like ten seconds with him and I was like, I've written the book, it mentions you at some <laughs> point. You know, here it is. Uh but he was good enough to uh to hold up the book while I while I took a photograph of him. And he was delightful, I have to say. Just totally delightful. But no, that aside, I mean that's just one of the many great, you know, just one of the many great jokes that that you know, this, these sort of granular jokes that that are embedded um, in the in the story that don't, And maybe they're missing something, but but they don't necessarily move the uh, story along necessarily or have any particular point other than Edgar and Simon found it amusing. And, you know, all this time later, I find it amusing too. Conversely, one of my other favorite jokes in the movie is uh, Paddy Constantine. Paddy Constantine plays another of the cops and he's this, just amazing actor, you know, I mean, he's done all sorts of stuff and he's in um, The World's End, one of the stars of The World's End, the the next, the, the concluding chapter of the Cornetto trilogy. But him and Rafe Spall, who's also gone on to have an amazing career, play, play the two detectives, they're the two um, people who really should be investigating the murders that happen in this village, but are just sort of like lazy people, I guess, um, or just don't believe that anyone's being murdered. Um, and they're called the Andes because they're both called the Andy. Um, and, and there's one, I don't know, there's lots of dumb, there's lots of great dumb jokes connected with them. Jim Broadbent, he's introduced to the, he's, he's like, you gotta meet the Andes. Do you, would you wanna guess why they are called the Andes or whatever? And Simon Pegg's character goes, cause they're called Andy? And uh, which always makes me laugh. But there's one moment in a pub where uh, Paddy Constantine takes a sip of beer and ends up with lots of froth on his mustache. And Nicholas Pegg says, "You've got a mustache, and Paddy Constantine says, "Oh know <laughs> it, <just, laughs> it, just, it just always makes me laugh Well, that's the other thing because it has i mean Somerset does have you know I grew up with lots of i mean I went to a somewhat posh school and had any sort of i mean I used to have a thick Welsh accent but I lost it going to a somewhat posh school um, but I was certainly very familiar with all the accents that are that are in the film is very kind of thick, um, a lot of people with a lot of thick Welsh accents. And it's just so great to see Paddy Considine going, oh, no, uh, as he has a lot of sort of froth on his moustache. I find that, you know, very, amusing. and that's like a dumb joke. I mean, I mean, it's a really great joke, you know, but I don't, you know, I, mean, I just like it that, that this film is just, you know, op- operating on so many levels of kind of, of I mean, it's always, it's always, you know, sharp and intelligent, but also does allow itself um uh you know to, to to have some sort of pretty knock around stuff as well mm-hmm. yeah there's some there's a lot of humor in there just
0: for the joke's sake you know mm-hmm. for for nothing else but kind of as you put it they thought that it was funny um and that's i think something that you always get off of all three of these films is um you know whether you like them or don't although i think all three of them are great um for different reasons um they're always being done by by people who were like, this is the movie that I wanted to make, you know, mm-hmm. this this joke is here because I thought that this joke was funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and I really enjoy that nature for it because you oftentimes see so many movies that are so polished and so made to kind of please everyone, you know, in so many different ways that they end up getting a little desaturated. Um, and so it is nice how, especially how colorful this film is. I mean, Timothy Dalton, is uh, playing his, his character like he actively wants to be caught.
2: Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and he's hilarious. Um, well, I think the first time you see him, he's jogging, whatever, he's jogging along with Simon Pegg or whatever. And he's like, arrest me. Or I'm a slasher. Yeah. He's like, I'm a slasher. And, Nick, and Simon Pegg's like, what? And he goes, yes, uh, you should arrest me. I'm a slasher because I, you know, I manage the, the local supermarket and we slashing prices. Uh, and you're like, what is what is going on? I I don't think I mean he just Timothy Dalton, um, who for people that don't know was was sort of the James Bond of the of the eighties. Uh, he, he was between Roger Moore and um, uh, uh, and yes. Roger Moore and uh, Pierce Brosnan, and especially in his early years. I mean, I I, I think he was part of. I think he was in the Royal Shakespeare Company. He took a very serious approach uh, to the character of Bond, especially um, which a lot of people liked, a lot of people didn't like, um, but he was like very much a quote unquote serious actor. And in recent times has, um, you know, I think chosen roles where he can have a bit more fun. But my God, he is having so much fun in, uh, <laughs> in Hot Fuzz. It is, un- it is unbelievable how much fun um, he's having. And when there is, because a- he's got this office and uh, there's a photograph of himself behind the, uh, you know, on the wall up behind him. And at one point, you know, Edgar frames a shot so that Timothy Dalton is smiling in exactly the same fashion as the photograph of him uh, smiling. Um, he's yeah, he's just he's just having so much fun, and I don't want to reveal what happens to him in the end, but it's it's actually one of the most regardless of the genre of the film, it's actually one of the most painful looking things I've ever seen happen to anybody in a movie yeah. I would say um, just just quite unbelievable. But just a couple of uh, so so he's running a, a, a summerfield, uh, which is, which was a, I guess it's a supermarket in Wells High Street which I'm pretty sure was a gateway uh, when I was there. But it, it's definitely a supermarket where, where, um, you know, it, where uh, Timothy Dalton's supermarket is purported to be. And Edgar, as a teenager, worked in that supermarket, which is kind of what inspired this whole uh, element of the film. And he tells the story of... This would have been, I guess, when he was like 15. And, but he tells the story about... He was making short films... And um, uh, he won a prize, or he was on television. Actually, he made short films, won a one like prize, was invited on TV, or won a TV competition, and so was on TV. And but then was back working at the supermarket like a couple of days later. And he tells a story about how some kid was, or some baby was, like sick in the supermarket, and so he had to go and mop up, in like all three. And as he was, like, popping up all this, like, vomit on the floor, the uh, manager walked by and said, huh, not in Hollywood yet, then, and just carried on walking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think in, like, a mean way, but in the sort of joshing way of, um, you know, that people do. And the manager was called Stockwell. He was called Mr. Stockwell. And uh, Edgar said he couldn't name Timothy Dalton's character after that because it would seem like like it was made up you know because you know well stocked shelves and stuff um but uh but yeah i mean a lot of as i said a lot of that's taken from so much i mean particularly the supermarket stuff but so much of the stuff around town is taken from you know taken from real life and if you go now to uh i actually think the swan and maybe i'm confused i think the swan is elsewhere i think it's the crown that is where this they, they say the swan is i could be wrong but if you go to that pub anyway in the town and I went a few years ago and there's like lots of photographs of, of like the shoot and Edgar and Simon and Nick all, uh, you know, I think they pretty much, they pretty much took over the tower. You know. Yeah. And the, um, oh, well, sorry, this, I just know, I know way too much about this movie, arguably. But there's a running gag, there's a running gag about the living statue. One of those, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's sort of like a street performer who, I mean, I guess you have them in America where it's like they dress up as the Statue of Liberty or whatever and just stand there. But he was one of the stars, I think maybe the star of Edgar's very first movie, a fistful of fingers which um uh, which he also shot in wells uh when he was like twenty. Yeah.
1: no yeah
0: um that's I, i'm I'm glad that you came on this is this was definitely why I wanted you to to come on was for this wealth of information, so you know definitely don't feel bad <laughs> about about sharing this is this is exactly what I was hoping for so um uh if you had to, you know, we haven't talked about World's End. Um, do you, between uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, do you have a, a preferred one? You know, one that you go back to more often? You know, not necessarily a favorite. It's hard to sort of
2: pick between them. Well, I would have said, I mean, of, of the three of them, I mean, I've always been more of a fan of horror and sci-fi than, um, I guess, cop movies to a degree. Uh, so... I generally think that hot fuzz is my least. I mean, I, I have certainly said over the last few years that, um, probably hot fuzz is the one that I would watch least. But on this rewatch, I was like, well, what are you thinking? This is amazing. This is absolutely, <laughs> this is amazing. And this is like this, essentially this guy's second movie and it's so accomplished. And yeah. in many ways seems like, uh, maybe not on the writing level necessarily, but on a, on a technical level, just seems like like a real jump up from um, from, uh, from Shaun of the Dead. I mean, which doesn't necessarily make it a better movie, but but like, you know, his, his, I mean, all of the cuts. I mean, one of the things, one of the sort of recurring themes in my book is Edgar, whether it's a TV show, or a film that Edgar's kind of shot it in his head before, you know, in the course of writing it and then has to explain to people what he wants to do and often has a hard time doing that. And that goes all the way up to, you know, Baby Driver where, you know, his, I mean, before The Recent Last Night in Soho is his most recent movie. Um, And you can, yeah, I mean, trying to explain to somebody that that you're going to make a film that has music all the way through it and that everybody sort of is in time to that music, but that it's not in any way a musical. I mean, even in broad strokes, that's hard to define, it's hard to explain, but when you start trying to do the nitty gritty, and I believe um, when Edgar sent out scripts to, you know, studios or whatever, then it came you could sort of read the script and listen to the music at the same time. Um, but people have always had difficulty understanding what, what Edgar plans to do. And if you look at the I mean just the opening sequence, as you say, with Peter Jackson, I and mean, you're just introducing a lot of stuff and the cuts are so fast. And there's this there's this and it's only this time I really noticed this. There's not there's not a lot of action until the very end of the film. Um I mean there's stuff that happens. There are there are there are chases and whatnot. But all the all the real action I would say occurs well, I mean, there are some bloody deaths, but but all the real action occurs in, in in the last you know twenty minutes or so. But you don't think that because he's got this sort of joke, which again, I mean, it's a joke and it's sort of not a joke. Where every time Simon Pegg fills out a form or produces a pen or does anything to do with the paperwork uh, of being a cop, which he keeps on saying is what a, being a cop is really about, like it's treated as if it's you know it's as if it's another tooling up scene from an 80s action film or an you know or, or or the evil dead or something that um you know clicking a clicking a pan is like a is like a is like a gun going off you know and the other thing i noticed this time around actually is it's also kind of it's also got a like a horror it's like it, it has got a slasher movie sort of hidden mm-hmm. in it you know it's got this hooded you know this this robed character uh wandering around committing you know, at times, spectacularly gory deaths. There's there's a scene. There's the scene where the journalist, who's played by Adam Buxton, who's Joe Cornish's uh, one-time comedy partner, really. Uh, Adam Buxton plays the sort of the local, uh, the local journalist, and then this this bit of bit of uh, the, the, the villain or, or the villain's henchman shoves this this big stone part of a statue, essentially, part of the building of a of a church, and it lands on Adam Buxton. And there's like, it really, like, you see for quite a while this guy without, without a head, with this big piece of masonry on his shoulders, kind of standing around in a manner that, I mean, you know, I mean, no complaint, but rather defies the laws of physics and, and yeah. theology. And <laughs> it's just like, wow, this this is like, you know this is like proper horror movie stuff you know and the, and the death of the woman i was saying earlier the death of the woman who gets the shears in her throat and i mean the whole plot again I mean, another thing that that they're referencing i mean yes he's referencing uh, action movies but he's also referencing all those movies of kind of cults and conspiracies in the countryside so you know the casting of edward woodward um, as the head of the uh, the NWA, the the uh, what's it called the, um, the, uh, watch alliance. the, yeah the local sort of uh, you know neighborhood the neighborhood watch association or alliance yeah um, uh, Edward Woodward very famously was the uh, star of the Wicker Man in the early seventies not the Nick Cage version um, the star of the Wicker Man in which you know he plays a cop who goes to a remote Island, uh, you know, run by a uh, Nick uh, Christopher Lee, and the whole thing's a cult, and he ends up, you know, burning alive. But that's not—I mean, that's the wonder of Edgar, really, because it is—it is—it's uh, perfect because Edgar Wood was Edward Woodward was in the Wicker Man. Also, Edward Woodward's a great actor. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a really good actor. So, Edgar's—I mean, I don't think—I mean, Edgar's never really. And I mean, it's one thing to have Joe Joe Cornish have two words in a mask. That's fine. I mean, I suspect actually Joe's there because he he just turned up on the day or whatever or they needed somebody. Or, you know, not not to be you know. I expect his body's in the room. What I mean is, if it's like a proper role, then Edgar uh, is happy to sort of nod towards one of his influences, but always really if the guy can all the woman can also do the job he's not going to do like stunt casting where they're you know they're you know they're not possible of pulling off the role mm-hmm. um you know which is and that and that you know all the way through the cast that's the case and all the way all the way through his films i mean i mean with with i don't know if you've seen last night in soho but uh you know terence stamp i mean last night in soho edgar's new movie is very much a sort of um uh, well like hot fuzz it's both a, a it's both a tribute to a place uh and a time in the case of last night in Soho but also a warning about about you know about the place and Terence stamp plays this quite um sinister figure in modern day london but terence stamp is is a is a British actor who you know reeks of of swinging sixties london i mean he's done mm-hmm. lots of great things since then but he's one of those actors that uh you know, helped London to swing in the sixties, really. Uh, and so Edgar, you know, the casting of him is is very much uh, uh, a signpost in the direction of Edgar's influences. But also, Terrence Stamp is just great. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, he could be, you know, so so it serves that it serves that double purpose. It's never at the, uh, it's never at the expense of of the of the performance of the story.
0: No, never, and. And that there are so many things to appreciate about Edgar Wright films, but I think i i I honestly don't think that I've really watched an Edgar Wright movie where I ever felt like anyone was horribly miscast. Anyone felt like the sore thumb
1: or that the cameos were were all of that was. I got to see somebody because they were famous, and that mm-hmm. was it, and it was just kind of like a throwaway moment now everybody, everybody shows up to to play the part that they're that they're asked to play. And I, I really also very much appreciate that. You know, I, 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 we all like seeing famous people, but like, you know, I don't want to just see Brad Pitt because he's Brad
2: Pitt. Mm-hmm. Right. And also we should, I mean, I was trying to work out how many Oscar winners were on screen and I lost count almost immediately. But it is worth pointing out that another of the cops is played by Olivia Colman, who is now <laughs> you know, known as this, uh, uh, you know, incredible actress, Oscar winner, the Crown, um, but at the time this was made was was very much known more for um, her comedy chops. Really, uh, she was in a, a, a British show called uh, Peep Show, which is quite popular here, and you can, I, I mean, it, it has like a cult following in the states. And Jesse Armstrong, who is one of the main writers of, of Peep Show, has now gone on to create uh, Succession. Um, but like Olivia Colman. Is just plays this. I mean, I guess it's not the most PC character ever, but she's just this like randy, or at least Dublon entendre spouting kind mm. of you know uh, uh, cop, um, and it's just like it's just a joy to watch her just be filthy. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's amazing. You know, and she's and she's great in it. Um, yeah, it's just—I mean, there's always someone on screen that you're like. I mean, Stephen Merchant pops up as the as the guy who loses the Swan. Um, it's just one, yeah. It's just one terrific uh, sort of turn, I guess. Uh, after uh, David Bradley from Game of Thrones is in it, I just like. There's just so many, like, there's so much. I mean, I mean, the repetition of it, as with all of Edgar's films, you get these phrases that they're repeated again and again. The one I really like is crusty jugglers. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the local townsfolk are obsessed, which is, and this is like a genuine concern people have in, in, small towns, but like the idea of, of travelers or quote unquote gypsies kind of, you know, coming in. Um, and you know, jugglers, a lot of people think jugglers are a real pain in the ass. So, you know, the idea that, 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 Various members of the of the local, uh, you know, the the, the 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 prominent members of the local townsfolk are obsessed with you know getting rid of the living statue. People in hoodies, which was a real, hoodies became quite a thing in Britain about ten of about ten years ago. People are obsessed with banning hoodies um, and crusty jugglers, which is a crusty jugglers, which is such a great, uh, which is just such a great. Um, um, uh, phrase, I think, and that thing—it's just like, like there's no line really that doesn't. There's very few lines that don't pay off. That um early on, Jim Broadbent talks about uh, Simon Pegg's predecessor, <clears throat> and he says, "Well, he had something that you haven't got." Simon Pegg's like, "What?" And Jim Broadbent goes, "A big bushy beard," which is—I mean, he's he's Jim Broadbent, so it's a perfect line delivery. But also, you know, for possibly an hour and a half later, or certainly an hour. Simon Pegg's character discovers all these all these corpses, you know, crust hoodies, crusty jugglers, and then, you know, some skeleton with a, with a big bushy beard, which really, you know, it just pays off all that, all that time later, which is, uh, uh, which is, you know, quite amazing. No, it's yeah, yeah, This film is packed. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's two hours long. It's not that, it's not that long but it, it's, I guess it's fairly it's hefty. hefty. Oh my God, it's absolutely packed. I do remember, um, when they released this, I th- certainly in London, I think Edgar did this in, maybe both New York and LA, maybe, maybe just LA, but he, he would put on like a season of films, of double bills, um, of the movies that inspired, uh, that helped inspire the film. And I remember going to see in, in London, going to see um, a couple of films, like uh, a couple of Hong Kong movies, I think, uh, Super Cops. Um, I can't remember the details now, but I do remember him saying, because I think they showed, is it is it Bad Boys 2 that they keep on talking about in the movie? Yeah. it's Bad Boys 2, right? And I think he would do a double bill of, uh, of Point Break and Bad Boys 2. I remember him saying that he'd kind of forgotten that Bad Boys 2 is like two and a half hours long. So it was a, uh, it was actually like a long, I think he, he when he set this up, it didn't occur to him that that's like going to be like a five hour spectacular once you, once you <laughs> like an introduction and a Q&A. But I mean, I'm sure it would have been, I'm sure it would have been entertaining. No, absolutely. Um, and he even does like a
0: full on Michael Bay helicopter shot, like right at the end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: But that's the thing you think you think sorry but you think like because as i said there's an hour and a half before it really becomes an action movie and and it's such a nice surprise because you think well you just assume they haven't got the money to do this i guess or don't have the sort of like chops to do this Mm -hmm. and then suddenly the whole you know local the whole neighborhood watch association it turns out have been carrying around like kalishnikovs in their baby prams or whatever or under their <laughs> under their suspiciously long coats and uh you know it it turns into a into just a full on action fest which is in this medieval uh marketplace um it's it's really quite amazing
0: no it is and um i honestly i i think that it's it it is so layered that i still haven't gotten you know bored of watching it it's it's just it's endlessly clever um and it it is really impressive you know um he's he's continued to make great films but on a certain level he's almost never really made anything i think quite like hot fuzz again um and you know going into the references and how just like deep and packed and specific it is if i'm not mistaken in one of the commentary tracks he talks about how the music that plays during the the reveal of the guns and the run away from the house out of fear that the sea mine is going to blow up is like the music from the lethal weapon two, like tr- <laughs> teaser trailer or something like it's, it's a fascinating movie. And if you somehow haven't missed it, I think, um, it's kind of a, a must watch both as an action film and also as, um, as a British film in a weird way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that this is probably one of the UK's greatest, like, additions to the action film genre in general.
1: Um, oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, the history of, of I mean, I'm sure uh, if Edgar was here, he would point out 50 great British crime movies, but that's but that's Edgar Wright. But there was sort of a tradition of, um, you didn't so much have British crime movies as you had American, or movies with American stars in which they played uh, an American cop who for some reason has to end up in London. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, I think it's called Brannigan. There's a seventies movie where, uh, where John Wayne has to come over and, and show like, basically show British cops how to like, you know, cop, I guess. Mostly. <laughs> and, you know, and he's, he's breaking all the rules. And Richard Attenborough's in it. Like the, the guy that would go on to direct Gandhi. And of course be in Jurassic Park and, Richard Attenborough is the head, you know, the, the head of the London cops or whatever. and He and uh, John Wayne formed this uh, form this odd thing. Although there is a, and I couldn't, it's not in the Sean book, but the guy that plays the uh, the guy that plays uh, Steve Emerson, who's the stuntman actor who plays the publican in Sean of the Dead, who turns into a zombie, was one of the stuntmen in Brannigan and gets thrown into a uh, jukebox which is what happens to his character in Shaun of the Dead. And uh, so they made Shaun of the Dead and then Edgar and Simon uh, were uh, watching um, uh, watching all these movies to, to, to when they were writing the script for Hot Fuzz. And they're watching Branigan and this guy gets thrown into a jukebox. And like, I think Edgar turns to Simon and vice versa and was like, was that Steve? Was that Steve Emerson? And Edgar said the weird, the weird thing was that he said that the weird thing was that Steve Emerson is, you know, loves telling stories about, you know, his career. And I mean, he's an, he's an elder, you know, he's an older gentleman now and quite reasonably, is, is he's fantastic. He's been in a lot of Bond movies. And it's just one of those people that's happy to, uh, to reminisce. And Edgar was like, you would have thought, though, that as we threw him or as we threw his character into a jukebox, he would have pointed out that this was the second time that this had, that this had happened. Uh so that's a nice uh a nice bit of trivia. Well maybe
0: maybe getting thrown through the first one knocked his memory loose, you know, he, he couldn't remember. <laughs>
2: that is yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a common is, occurrence, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh no the music I mean the sound the score by David Arnold on Hot Fuzz is amazing and also it's just got all these great um I Nick mean, is really great at, at I mean I guess like Tarantino, having these you know needle drops that are perfect but aren't necessarily but it's certainly not obvious i mean you've got the kinks mm-hmm. village preservation at the beginning which i guess is probably something i i might have suggested you know doing as just kind of uh as you're you know introducing this this bucolic village but i mean the whole thing starts with uh i think it's dog eat dog or it starts with an adam and track anyway um uh adam and from adam and the ants uh <laughs> Uh, which is just perfect. Be like, who would have thought of that? You know. Oh, another and funnily enough, another. Um, uh, the so Simon Pegg is called Nick Angel, uh, but Nick Angel is the name of the music supervisor on Shaun of the Dead. And now I'm trying to think. Maybe Hot Fuzz also, but um, uh, and he's someone I spoke to when I was writing my Shaun of the Dead book, and he said, yeah, one day Simon and Edgar came up to me. We're like, we're writing this cop thing, and we want to call the lead character. Nicholas Angel, after you, just because we like the name. Is that okay? And he was like, I guess. I mean, sure. But he said that then a couple of years later, he was attending the South by Southwest uh, Music Festival, I guess now Film and Music Festival. Uh, and he was going through, you know, airport security in Texas or whatever. And um, the guy checking his passport said, you know, looked at his passport and went, wait, like, are you the nicholas angel from hot Fars? And, <laughs> and nick angel was like well i mean yeah i am so uh, <laughs> through security and, and that was it so that's where that came man. from
1: you know i was gonna ask it sounded too perfect to just be somebody's name i thought it might have been like a reference to something i love the fact that he just kind of has like an action hero mm. name
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't speak to Edgar and Simon about it. Um, I guess they just fancied his name. I, I mm-hmm. it's weird, and it's weird because it does seem like the. I mean, it's it, it's almost like too spot on, right? Mm-hmm. Call him Angel. I mean, you know, but you know, it is it was someone's real name, so you know. Um, I guess it just made sense to that. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: So if you if you had to rate Hot Fuzz out of out of five. What, were, what would
2: you give it? I would give it five. I mean, I don't, I yeah. don't see, I mean, especially, especially this time around. I'm, I just thought it was a, it's just a wonder, you know, it's an absolute wonder of a, wonder of a movie, especially at a time now where, I mean, Edgar always says that, that he doesn't have a problem with sequels, but you've got to remember that, like everything was an original script to start with. The Star Wars mm-hmm. was an original script. And if you don't have original scripts, then you don't, you know, get to make the 18th Star Wars movie or whatever. I mean, you get to make the 18th yeah. Star Wars movie, but you got to, you know, I mean, you, you need original material and watching um, watching any of these movies or really any of Edgar's movies. You, I mean, but particularly with this, I was just struck by, it's that irony that it's so, um, it's so, as we've been talking, so indebted to so many things as mm-hmm. Edgar and Simon, you know, not only would admit, but make clear, in, in the course of the film. I mean, I mean, the film, uh, you know, it's, it's, it has so many inspirations and yet it's really quite a quite a um, a, a novel and, and an original, very original piece of work, you know, as they all are. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. no, are the balls of these people too, you know, it's basically their second movie and they're referencing, there's a lot of jokes about Shauna of the, you know, that relate to Shaun of the Dead in this, the fences and Cornetto, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Cornetto stuff in, in Hot Fuzz mm-hmm. particularly. Um, just just the balls of these people is quite extraordinary (laughs) you know i mean unjustifiably so as it turns out but um yeah you make one movie and then you make another movie that has a bunch of jokes about the previous movie which you know which is an unrelated movie really it's quite it's quite extraordinary and also when you think about it it's not well nick's character has some similarities to the character he plays in um Sean of the Dead, uh, Simon's character is completely different from, mm-hmm. uh, from the lay from the slacker he portrays in the zombie film. And so even that, it's not like they've just it's not like it's about two slackers in the in the country. I mean they've they've really sort of remodeled um certainly Simon's character, and then as a result, remodeled the entire relationship between them. So yeah. even that is it's it's mm-hmm. You know, it's quite easy if you don't. and then they do the same thing again and not the same thing, but they do the same thing in as much as they do a different thing in the world's end. So it's not merely that they've got these two funny people kind of playing themselves in three movies. I mean, they're playing very mm-hmm. different. they're playing you know uh, very different characters as the, as they progress through the through the trilogy. I'd love to see them. Do something again, I have to say, but it is that it is that weird thing of like expectations. The people even now want a third series of space. But you know, I mean they're with space they were really writing about themselves, and so I don't know what that would look like nowadays. It wouldn't be the same thing. And so I mean they they made those they made the Cornell trilogy in a relatively short period of time, but you know, the of the Dead's about In their twenties, really, and I'm using their own descriptions for this. But and then, uh, 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 and then Hot Fuzz is really about the job, I guess, to a degree, on top of everything else. And then um, the World's End is really about, you know, a a midlife crisis. So what the, and I think that's maybe why it didn't, why people didn't love it so much, because it's like, well. Uh, I mean a lot of people do really like i mean you know i, I love uh, the world's end, but you know what you have there is a, is it's about a broken guy who then who ultimately breaks the world i mean it's not a it doesn't have a happy start or a happy end really yeah um although I guess Simon Pegg's character is happy, but my point is that they tend to i think people think, oh, I know this irritates them, well, they could do a western and blah blah blah, you know they could goof around in a western i'm sure it would have. Or like in space or whatever, um, and I'm sure that would be all right. But but it, they've really got a, you know, they both they're both writing about where they are in their lives and and things that are important to that. Um, and so I think you know inevitably those changes you go on. So it wouldn't necessarily be what people would want a fourth movie to be. I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, and and especially now audiences often come in with so many expectations, even more so I think than before. Um, that yeah, I just I don't think that to your point, I really don't think that they could make the movie that that the audience would be happy with. I think that they'd make the movie that they'd be very happy with. Yeah. Um, but no, and and World's End was definitely more divisive to your point than than like hot fuzz. I went and saw World's End with my family and um one of my best friends and his uh now wife, girlfriend at the time. And he and I and my mom Loved it. Uh, My dad, my friend's girlfriend, not so much. Um, And so, um, this one definitely, I think, is probably the most sort of universally liked um, of the three. And I like World's End a lot, but it's definitely a little bit more of a bittersweet sort of pill in that movie. You know, it's a guy who can't really come to terms with the past. Um, Whereas Shaun of the Dead is a guy who who isn't really ready to like deal with the future you know, on a certain level. Um, yeah. And they're very, they're all very personal, you know, and to your point, the relationships change in all three of them, but all three of them have a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that core, re- that core relationship dynamic between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg is always the thing that grounds and, um, and elevates um, all three of the films, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the the world building as well is, is something that also really grounds the story because it, they're talking about things that they're familiar with and you can tell and you can feel it and it makes it feel cozy as a, as, a, as a watcher as well to even though if I don't know all of the references I know that they know them and you know I can I can laugh along with that not necessarily I guess knowing exactly the the nitty-gritty of all of it but like I can I can superimpose my my personal you know, life journey onto those experiences and mm-hmm. find, you know, solidarity in that. Yeah.
0: Um, I know that you were a, a busy band, Clark. So before I we let you go, I, I just have one question. If you had to to give listeners of the world uh a film or two to kind of be like these are the most British films that you could mm. watch, uh what what would they be?
2: Uh well, I mean, you know, Certainly, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I'll get onto some other films in a minute. There's Shaun of the Dead and on Hot Fuzz. Uh, uh, there's certainly films that British people watch a lot. There's, there's a network on ITV2. There's a network. There's a network here called ITV2, um, which is sort of the sister of ITV, which is a, a huge commercial network here, and it's become like a joke how much they show Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. Um, And indeed, I was reading some article that was like basically headlined ITV2 does not show them these films as much as you think, sort of breaking down. and I think it's because there's two of them that people feel that people feel that they're they're kind of always on. Um, um, Maybe just because I've been sticking with uh, thinking about crime quite a lot, but Long Good Friday, I really like with Bob Hoskins. It's a late 70s, early 80s uh, crime movie. Um, Withnell and I is a sort of deserved, um, cult classic, which if you really, I think if Americans really want to be flabbergasted by, by a British movie, then maybe Withnell and I is a good, is a good place to start. Um, yeah. And, uh, I guess with horror, I mean, um, like Hellraiser, I mean, that's always, that's pretty alarming. Sorry, I'm now worried that I'm just... Choosing things that are going to alarm and confuse people, but uh, I don't know. I found in some ways, I found in some ways that the more British, the more British something is, that the more it was a huge generalisation, but um, I find the more British something is, the more Americans like it to a to a degree. You know, I think there is like a cut off where they're like, no, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know. But for the most part, so yeah, I think I think certainly uh, the Long Good Friday is great. Um, and uh, although it is quite insulting towards Americans in the end, and uh, Bob, Hos- Bob Hoskins eventually teams with the, the team with the Germans, um, but yeah, and Whistle and I—I I mean, those are the kind of movies that that, that I grew up watching. Um, yeah,
0: no, that's a, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Is there is there anything else that you want to let the listeners know before before you you head on out?
1: Well,
2: I I, I mean they're probably bored of hearing it, but but you can either depending where we are in the space time continuum, you can either pre- uh, uh, order or buy. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, you've got red on you. How short of the Dead was How short of the Dead was brought to life. If you, I would suggest if you've made it to the end of this podcast, then a God bless you, and and B you might you might want to check out this book no definitely (laughs) give give the book a read um I, i read a good amount of it before
0: we we spoke and um i decided to hold off on on finishing it until i got my hard copy but it's it's a great book and i really quite enjoy it a lot so um yeah definitely go and and give it a give it a read uh if if you're into that kind of thing um but thank you for for coming on, Clark. Um, it really means quite a quite a great deal to us. I was very excited when you agreed to to come back on again. So we'll have to do this uh, at least one more time for the world's end.
2: I think we should. If you if you yeah. if you if you're kind enough to invite me back on, then yeah, we'll definitely let's definitely do the, do the world's end.
0: So that was Clark Collis. Uh, we actually recorded with him last week before we even recorded last week's episode um you know clark was available and and i really wanted to try and have him on and so he was ready then and so i i, I jumped at the opportunity um and he was very great gracious to come on and um actually now at this point that we're recording it i can say that his book is out uh at this point of the recording on the time space continuum and um <laughs> Uh, it currently is a is a bestseller on amazon uh, in the uk so it's doing very well uh, and it's about to come out here in the US so you know if, if you haven't already gotten it definitely go and get it um but he was he was very kind to come on and i also thought that it would be fun to get a, a british perspective you know for, for this week it, I wasn't really able to make that work for any of the other episodes but um at least i got at least i got clark on
3: yeah, I mean, I don't know who you would have gotten. I don't have any connections in, uh, Egypt or in India, so...
0: I I, I did a little bit of, of digging around, but I didn't really have the, the time to, to finally sort of put something together, so...
3: Hey, you know, it happens.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, but it was good to have Clark on, um... I wanted to sort of come in and and do an update on news you know that's still relevant to what's happening right now um so as an update to a story that we've been continuing to cover the iatse vote um officially happened you know a a resolution was sort of reached to be sent out to the members and then the members received it looked over it and had like a certain voting deadlines um so i think like over 70 percent of membership voted and they decided to ratify the agreement um and i guess that's the correct verbiage and um (laughs) but it was narrow it's it's like a essentially it's like a 51 to 49 split um so it passed but just barely
3: i feel like it should be a bigger percentage if it's that close you know if it's if it's just like a few percentage points away, then I would I would feel more comfortable with maybe like a 60-40 split
0: than Or even like, maybe like a 55-45. Yeah,
3: because like, that's just too close.
0: Yeah, and you also have 30%, you know, unaccounted for as well. So, and you have to, I guess, I immediately asked the question, you know, did they just do it out of, you know, not wanting to? Did they just not agree with the entire process at large did they think the whole argument did they think everything about the agreement was a joke like you know i would immediately have questions about the 30 percent that didn't
3: i mean i guess i imagine that they're not very active probably so like even if they could vote they probably aren't even thinking about it because you know they haven't been you know really working in the system
0: yeah but still i agree with you it's it's very narrow
3: yeah too close <laughs>
0: You know, if, if we're talking, like, pizza toppings and everyone is, like, very harshly divided on, like, two choices, I'm going to be like, maybe I need a third choice, you know, something that's going to get, like, more broad appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so that's kind of where it's at right now. Um, and so they're going to continue moving forward with, with making that agreement um, fully in effect, you know, into the system. So we'll keep you updated with that. Um, but it's pretty much, you know, just signing paperwork at this point, really. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, um, it's been an interesting process. I don't think that this is the end uh, based on these voting results. I don't think that this is the end that we're going to hear of this.
3: No, there's a huge percentage of people who aren't happy with this decision. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're just going to see this again in like five to ten
0: years. Yeah, just give it a little time um so yeah that's kind of um an update on that the other stuff that's happened this week there was of course the new spider-man no way home trailer Mm. um which made me less interested in the movie yeah um it was fine
3: uh i'm just gonna have to see it right now um after seeing the second trailer i'm i'm honestly less interested in watching it but we'll see
0: yeah um I think based on what I've seen from the trailer and the news story that, um, apparently, you know, Multiverse of Madness was supposed to come first, I think that it's pretty obvious how they are trying to reconfigure this whole thing. Um, we'll see how it works. Um...
3: And just you saying that, like they're they're putting these movies that are about multiverses out of order, sounds horrifying to me. Well, they re- just,
0: they restructured the plot.
3: Yeah, that sounds horrifying to me. <laughs> you had a plot you you signed off all the way up into a certain point, and then a bunch of people said, "Fix it," last minute, and and now we're we're here, and and that scares me.
0: No, that's fair. Um, there was a a, a fan event that happened that I thought was the silliest, most ludicrous thing ever. Uh, they had a whole fan event where you could win tickets to go to a live, in-person showing of the trailer that had a a brief Q&A with Tom Holland, or some sort of thing like that. And it was so... they ended up, like, sort of overbooking it, and so there was, like, an overflow haul of, like, a hundred some-odd people as well. Um... So, yeah, they did this whole very silly, I think, hype event for the trailer.
3: Did they, did the people know that Tom Holland was going to be there? Yeah. Okay, then they came to see Tom Holland.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, But I just, I don't care how much I want to see Tom Holland. Like, I'm not sure it's worth me, you know, driving all the way through L.A. traffic to watch three minutes of trailer to maybe get, like, ten minutes of Tom Holland, I feel like.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and all of that's going to be wasted on one person's question. Um so <laughs> great.
0: <laughs> you know, like and maybe it was longer than that for the for the Q&A, but like unless it's like a, a great hour-long Q&A, then really I was there for just hype.
3: But also, like, a hundred people, you know, or, or whatever. Overflow, yeah. Yeah, we're in the overflow. So, can't imagine how many people were actually at this event. It's not, you wouldn't even actually have seen him. It was, it would be exactly how I felt when Will Smith came to our high school. Be like, this is neat, but like, I'm not meeting Will Smith right now.
0: Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Um, so, that, that also recently happened. That's another little bit of, of news for y'all. Um, You know there's a lot of hype around this movie i think we'll just see where it goes um
3: confidence
0: um not too much terribly new or earth shattering i feel like in the world of of news they announced i guess this ties also into our what we're watching uh they announced the big reunion thing Oh, Harry Potter turned 20. Speaking of British things, Harry Potter turned 20, the films, uh, this week. And so they decided to go and do, at the start of the new year, they're doing a big, like, 20 years later event on HBO Max with Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint and Emma Watson and others. Um, No, no Rowling. Um, And so, for the best. And so... Yeah, they're going to be doing that, and they just announced that. And I think that they're going to be like announcing more cast members and stuff like that as we get closer to it. I think it's weird that they didn't plan for it to happen sooner to the movie's actual anniversary, and instead are delaying it all the way to January one. I think that that's odd.
3: I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe it's maybe they're pulling a pandemic mulligan. Maybe you know who knows at this point i feel like <laughs> i feel like things are are in such their own schedule nowadays you know like <laughs> covid is just kind of like thrown everything off where like a bojangles can be closed on a midday on a saturday like
0: <laughs> yeah that's fair
3: <laughs> we live in crazy times
0: um and then off of that i guess i will also say there is now the the warner brothers multi-versus uh their free to play smash bros game um That's a multiplayer sort of platform combat game.
3: So is this like a computer game or is it like a console game? Like, what is this?
0: Um, I think it'll probably be on multiple platforms. Oh, okay. Uh, I think that they're about to do a a PC beta. Mm. Um, But I think that it will probably be a multi-platform game. And honestly, based on like the graphic load, I wouldn't be surprised if like, there is a modified version that ends up running a few years down the road on mobile not unlike fortnite if oh. it if it goes well
3: true true i was just i was just more curious than anything cuz they were talking about it being like a multiplayer game and i was wondering if it was like multiplayer in console or not because
0: probably not
3: hmm disappointing
0: isn't it always um so how that per- uh, how Warner Brothers and, and any of this pertains to what we've been watching, we've actually been watching quite a lot of Warner content lately. We've been watching the Harry Potter films as well as uh, Dune recently. Um, we just got through Order of the Phoenix mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, so dear, now that we've hit the last new Harry Potter director, one and two were Chris Columbus, three was Alfonso Cuaron, four was Mike Newell. Um, and so we finally have hit David Yates, who carries us all the way through even the Fantastic Beast films. Um, what, are, what, are, what are your thoughts so far on Harry Potter cinematically, I guess, sort of 20 years later and the films um, as we have watched them?
3: I will tell you what, the further into this franchise, the more wibbly my my memory becomes on like what actually happens in these movies. Um... And like, oof, even worse on like what happens in the books. Like, I feel like I remember the books more than the movies. And I guess, you know, maybe that's my that's my takeaway. Um, I've really been enjoying this this rewatch of them. It's it's been a very long time since I've since I've touched this like whole franchise. Honestly, I I own a copy of the books you own copies of the books you know we both have copies of the movies like this was a huge part of 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 us growing up and I guess you know I it, it still fills me with like that same like love of magic but definitely like as the movies goes on like it, it's almost like the and I guess maybe it's just the way that they're written it's like the magic slowly like disappears and they just become normal normal teen people in in wizard with quotes around it world because all they do is like wear muggle clothes for like the rest of the movies
0: yeah uh i was seven you know when the first movie came out um i guess six going on seven and so the books had come out a few years before that and i hadn't started reading the books then i i really started reading and maybe i had but i really remember reading them you know with my mom and and my sister and stuff starting at one and two partially because the movies were coming out or had come out Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and and movies have always been and especially were then you know where i gravitated toward and started first and and often would begin with something and then it would catch an interest and i would want to go and see where it came from um which continues to this day really (laughs) um So I remember, like, reading the first book and watching the first movie and, you know, reading the second book and seeing the second movie. And and so I was really always, you know, very much keeping up to date with them. And, like, we saw the third movie. We were on, like, a family vacation to Hawaii. And I remember I was very disappointed because they weren't— the theater that was near us was a small little theater and they didn't do uh, midnight showings or anything. And so we ended up just having to go at, like, you know— like two in the afternoon on friday Uh um
3: and i'm sure that that uh, devastated you but (laughs) as like a person who didn't go to the movies that often like for me it was like
0: oh boo (laughs) uh and so well and just also the ridiculousness of like me being like in the middle of hawaii and being like i couldn't see the movie at midnight (laughs) damn it you know um and then
3: the saddest, saddest I know. tale I've ever I know. heard. know, <laughs> the tragedy
0: of my life. Um, and so, uh, you know, but we, we caught the movies at midnight and like it was a big thing for me and my cousin, Bailey, who's like shown up on the show. I think she was in the WandaVision episode. Um, and the books were also big midnight releases for us as well. And so, yeah, for to your point, you know, Harry Potter was a big part of it moving forward. Um, And I've been enjoying the rewatch. We started watching it kind of absentmindedly, not realizing that we were hitting the 20-year mark. Um, It felt
3: like a good time.
0: Yeah, it's that time of year, you know? Fall, I feel like, is a time for Harry Potter. And I know that, like, the the TBS or whatever always put them on at Christmas and stuff. But fall in general, for for me, I guess maybe because the, the books always start with, like, the fall term feels like the good time to jump back in.
3: Well, I mean, also, like, the color palettes of the movies are very kind of fall-themed, because we also spend a lot of time with the Weasleys, and the entire
0: Weasley color palette is, like, the season of fall. The Weasleys, the Gryffindor uh, common room, and all of that.
3: So, like, honestly, no, I, I get that entirely, and, um, no, it... They always they always do celebrate the holidays so nicely. It definitely starts to peter out as the as the movies go on. But like if you celebrate Christmas, like I do, understand why they they play these movies at Christmas time.
0: Yeah, um, but I I definitely have been enjoying them. I have been enjoying the films. The the less the further we go into them. Um, we haven't really gotten into any of the behind the scenes material, but in the ultimate editions, there's a sit down discussion with Steve Kloves and. Rowling, where they talk about how there was discussion about splitting the films in two all the way back at book four, and Cloves was like, no, I can do it in one. And I really feel like that hamstrings a lot um, of, of the story moving forward. I think the movies do a respectable job in four and five of trying to hone it down to this is the most direct through line but i think that there's so much that is missed along the way that sets up other things that then end up causing other issues in other films that it really just starts to become a domino effect and um and i'm not looking forward to watching six
3: (laughs) i mean i'd be curious you know now that all of the books are done and like we have this kind of um the, these, this original franchise I'll I'll put it you know I'd be I'd be interested in 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 trying to, to tell the story from the beginning again but with this time knowing exactly where it ends so that way all of those through stories that got lost the first time through that ended up meaning something later on can be put in so that that way we can have a a more um all inclusive story uh because i i do think that those things kind of it is and i guess that's what i mean when like the magic starts to to fade from the movies is like we we start to get further and further away from all of the things that bring the light and the and the the joy to these movies where we like start to focus really hard on like how how hard it is you know how how hard the world has become you know once once he who must not be named has returned and I think that that's that's kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah, um, because I think the books remain magical, but I think the magic just gets darker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, overall, I'm really enjoying it. I, I I probably won't watch the thing that they do. The the like reunion. Why? i'm not really like a let's go and do a reunion thing yeah
3: it's not for me we're going to our personal reunion this weekend i don't need to watch some people that i don't know have a reunion together what am i supposed to understand their inside jokes or whatever
0: well and you know some of their retroactive you know statements i'm sure will be interesting but i'll just catch the sound bites you know
3: Well, well yeah i mean it's not the oscars and i don't watch that anyway so like whatever
0: yeah um beyond that the only other thing that we've really watched lately like i said was dune um it's good i think that i i really really enjoy it i think that it does have some flaws i think that i prefer blade runner 2049 to dune part one um i'll probably show up for dune part two
3: well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess I, I watched this one. I thought that it was really pretty. Um, it makes space look pretty cool. I'm not really into privilege stories, but you know, whatever. That's just not the the boat that I got a rowing on. So, you know, you write what you know, and that's not what I know. You know.
0: Well, and and Paul Atreides is definitely not necessarily. I think. At least in this version, I think that he is a little bit of a of a cold protagonist. I think it's a little bit hard to find a lot of warmth in him. The only time I truly feel like he has a lot of warmth, if I'm being completely frank, is um, his first interaction with Jason Momoa. That's well, I the mean, first.
3: Because literally everybody else in this entire movie is 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 having a bad day, except for that one time with Jason Momoa. <laughs>
0: No, that's fair. Um. It's just like
3: a perpetual bad day, except, like, we get to only have it with, um, uh, an, an attractive person who has no emotions. Isn't that fun?
0: Uh, I think, I think Denis is an interesting filmmaker. I think that it was fun that he got to make something so big and so bold and so his, um, because there's really nothing else quite like it right now in terms of like I think how creative some of the visuals were, how complete it felt like it was his, you know, it didn't feel like it was meddled with. Um
3: I get that. I get that. I guess that's how I feel about like the the Green Knight as well. It's like yeah. you know, from beginning to end nobody could have nobody could have messed this thing up because like they wouldn't have been able to to unmess it up. That would have that would have ruined the whole domino effect. The whole story would have been lost.
0: Yeah, so I I think that he always does a good job, you know, across all of his films of definitely leaving his very unique print. Uh, And he's one of the most interesting filmmakers working right now, even if I think this movie doesn't float your boat. I think it's undeniable that he is definitely still one of the best working overall.
3: I think that this movie would be really cool to watch in IMAX. Mm
0: Mm-hmm i was i am I'm, I'm still thinking about trying to see it in the theater even if we can't get it in imax
1: mm-hmm.
0: um just to see it on that even larger presentation
3: <laughs> maybe then i'll see some emotion yeah. on timothy Chalamet's face maybe
0: maybe ah. um but i think that's pretty much all that we have time for uh you know i don't want to talk y'all's ear off i want to thank clark again for for coming on um and, and this this week has been, or this month has been a lot of fun. And uh, we've got one more left. Next week is uh, Japan. And we just watched one of the films for that. It was nuts. Um, and we're going to watch another one coming up soon. So thank you guys for um, listening. As always, you know, you can check us out at thefilmbuds.com. You can check us out at all of our socials. I'll link some of those below. Definitely go and check out Clark's book. I'll also link to the uh, episode that he appeared on all about his book and Shaun of the Dead. And uh...
3: and we still haven't rated it.
0: Oh, right. Um, so Lauren reminded me that um, this is the last thing and then we'll go that uh, we got so sidetracked in the review that we forgot to personally rate Hot Fuzz. And so what would you like to give Hot Fuzz, dear?
3: Um, I'll give Hot Fuzz... Oh, gosh. You know, I'll give it I'll give it a five out of five.
0: Yeah, I will as well. Um, and I I think that it's it's definitely deserving of that.
3: No, yeah, it's a really smart movie. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what I enjoy about it the most. If I even if I don't personally get all of like the Bad Boys 2 references or whatever, but like, I don't think you need it. I think that it's a fun ride on its own.
0: No, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, as always, thank you guys for listening Be sure to check out last week's, check out Clark's episode, um, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.
1: Bye.